What would be the most devastating piece of sports news we could give you right now? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say like Kirk Ferentz dying very yep, suddenly. That's why is that the exact same thing I thought of? Okay. That's the exact same thing. Or Fran McCaffrey enters the NBA draft. <laughs> Welcome back to the DI Scoreboard, everyone. I am your host, Austin Hansen, joined as always by my co-host, Chris Werner. Chris, it's been a whirlwind couple weeks for us, but we are officially back. We are back, and boy, do we have one on the docket for you this Friday. It's a Tuesday evening, and we have a lot of news that just broke right before recording this, and we're going to break it all down for you. Yep, that leads me perfectly into our special guest making his DI scoreboard return, Robert Reed. Robert, how are we? It's been a long men's basketball season since we last chatted. It has been a long men's basketball season. Maybe not as long as we thought it was going to be, but, you know, we've got a lot of topics to talk about today. Yeah, shout out the Richmond Spiders. So we'll, we'll just dissect this right away. Let's, let's talk about Keegan Murray. He declared for the NBA draft today, I think to no one's surprise. He claimed that like lottery boards and blogs did not influence his decision. But when you see your name up there as the number five pick, uh, you're going to go get that money. (laughs) Robert, talk us through his decision a little bit. Yeah, well, talking with the Murray family before, this is something that they've been preparing for for Keegan for about a year now. After Iowa lost in the NCAA tournament to Oregon last March, primarily Kenyon, but the Murray family as a whole was sort of looking into what the draft process is like, what hiring an agent would be like, uh, you know, all within the rules of things prospects have to, you know, follow until they actually declare. But they've been seeing this uh, this coming for about a year now. So I, I wasn't, and I don't think many people were surprised to see Keegan declare. Uh, like Austin just mentioned, a lot of outlets have Murray going in the top 10. Many of them even have him going in the top five ahead of some NCAA tournament games. We heard people on ESPN like Seth Greenberg say maybe he's the best player in the draft and could be uh, could warrant a top three selection. So who knows? Either way, I think it's pretty clear that he's at the very least going to be a top 10 pick, likely higher, and it's kind of a no-brainer decision for him. I don't know how he comes back and improves his draft stock after the season he just had, being a first-team All-American, breaking Luka Garza's single-season scoring record at Iowa. You know, basically... I don't know how he could have had a much better of a season. All the coaches that Iowa played against were raving about him, saying he's a lottery pick. Fran McCaffrey, who usually doesn't come out and say things like this, at least in the time I've covered the team over the last three seasons, but he called him a Keegan that is a lottery pick, like from the middle of the season, which I thought was a pretty good indication that everybody, you know, was pretty aware this was going to be his last season in Iowa City. So uh, I think this is, it was just a formality waiting for it. It's finally arrived, and now Iowa can, you know, fully move on to next season knowing it's not going to have its best player. And, you know, despite the voters who said it was Johnny Davis, I think it's a lot of people thought that Keegan Murray was the Big Ten's best player. Uh, this last season, he led Iowa to a Big Ten tournament title. Now Iowa, a season after losing Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp, is going to have to move on without Keegan Murray. Yeah, I think the big thing for me is, Keegan saw this coming, even after last year when a lot of the time he came off the bench when Iowa had everyone at its disposal. I thought he took a big step this offseason, but maybe he was just underutilized last year. Where do you sort of stand on that? Yeah, it it was weird because obviously last season's team was 
built around Luca and for good reasons. He's a two-time national player of the year. His number's already hanging in the Carver Hawkeye arena. And then you've got a guy like Joe Wieskamp, who on pretty much not any other Big Ten team, but on a lot of Big Ten teams would have been the top guys just because Luca was so dominant. He kind of had to be the Robin to Luca's Batman in a sense. And then I think they Fran McCaffrey played the lineup a little bit to Luca's strengths. He had Connor in there instead of Keegan, for instance, uh, for most of the season because Connor was good at you know setting Luca up in the post and getting the ball to them, a good assist to turnover type of guy. Um, and you've also got shooters like Jordan Bohannon and CJ Frederick last season out on the perimeter. So I think you can make a case he was underutilized because whenever Keegan came in, he was very efficient. He didn't make a lot of those, um, as Fran McCaffrey might call them, freshman mistakes. He looked like he looked the part out there. And I wrote that uh, after I was win over Grand Canyon in the first round of last year's tournament that he didn't really look like a freshman out there. He was efficient in limited minutes off the bench. I think he had a couple of blocks, a couple of steals, really stuffed the stat sheet and that sort of sense. Um, so I think he definitely could have started last season if I wouldn't have such a stacked team. Fran McCaffrey said as soon as Keegan got on campus, it was pretty clear that he was going to be someone who could contribute right away. And I think coming into this season, now I didn't think, I don't know if many people thought that Keegan was going to go from a pretty solid bench piece to being up for national player of the year honors and be a first team all American. But I think a lot of people saw this big jump coming. I remember last summer, if you looked at some of those way too early mock drafts, some of them mocked Keegan going toward the end of the first round. So I think a lot of people, like you said, expected a jump out of him, but um, to do what he did this last season and really cement himself as a top five draft pick. I don't know if you could have seen that coming. So Back to the original question, after a very long answer in response to that, was he underutilized? Knowing what we do now, I mean, maybe a little bit, this might, he might be the best. Is it fair to say, I know Luca accomplished a lot over the last, over his last two seasons, especially at Iowa. Keegan might just have had a better season than Luca did in those two seasons. So maybe there was a way to better utilize Keegan while also playing to Luca's strengths. But I mean, once Luca was out of the way and Keegan was undoubtedly the guy for Iowa. I think things really fell into place. So you wrote the big profile on him and I guess the whole Murray family for that matter. Um, And Keegan's journey is kind of unique because he doesn't go from Cedar Rapids Prairie to Iowa. I think his only offer at that point was from Western Illinois University. And what a steal that would have been for (laughs) for them had he got him. But what what does he do uh, in between his last year of high school and his first year of college? Yeah, so it was interesting for both Keegan and Chris, um, as you said, playing at Cedar Rapids Prairie in high school. They were always hearing from their high school coach, hearing from Fran, who, with Patrick being in the same age range as Keegan and Chris, always had an eye on them, so to speak. They were always good in terms of their basketball skill, but they weren't always the, you know, six eight 220 pound forwards that we've seen today I think they were around 5'11 entering high school and really didn't have a huge growth spurt until after their sophomore year where they grew three or four inches and then grew even more after their junior to senior year and even grew a little bit more after their senior year so it was kind of a gradual growth spurt Kenyon referred to it Kenyon Murray their father referred to it as hitting the genetic lottery uh, when they finally got that full frame to them But yeah, I think partially for them being, you know, 
it's weird to call someone who's like only 6'4 at the time undersized, but probably a little undersized for the type of forward that a lot of Division I basketball programs were looking for. So that was one element uh, of it. And then another thing, a lot of college programs really saw Keegan and Chris as a package deal. They didn't think that one of them would leave to accept a scholarship at a school if the other one wasn't also going with them. Uh, which which wasn't true. Both twins and um, people around them said for the right opportunity at a high school, they would have gone separate ways if one opportunity was better for the other and the other had a good opportunity at another school, whatever that would have been like. But, you know, it really sounds like a lot of schools were hesitant to offer two players who they saw as relatively the same player who would do the same things to offer both of them scholarships to bring both players on to you know, clog up two scholarships when they really only wanted one of them. So that led a lot of the bigger schools, the division one schools to say, to pass on them really, because they didn't want to have to, in their idea, waste two scholarship offers or two scholarships on the same player. Where Iowa kind of fits into this is headed when Keegan and Chris were seniors, they played in an Eastern Iowa all-star game uh, with Patrick McCaffrey, who went to Iowa City West. So Fran McCaffrey and Kenyon Murray were both there watching the game. And Fran, who hadn't seen the Murray twins play live in a year or two at that point, just because he was busy with other responsibilities, went over to Kenyon and asked what the plan was for Keegan and Chris. And at the time, uh, like he said, the only offers for, the only division one offer that is for both of them was at Western Illinois. And then they had some division two, some junior scholarship some junior colleges, things like that, um, who also offered them, but they were really thinking prep school, that take a year somewhere and uh, you know develop a little bit and then see what the scholarship situation would look like the year after that. And he told Fran that, and Fran was already thinking the same thing uh, as that being the best thing for the Murray twins. Fran told Kenyon and that at the time, I only had one open scholarship, but the program wanted both of the Murrays. And they, Fran knew to get both of the Murrays, probably have to wait a year when they'd have two scholarships available. So to kind of manifest that dream of Keegan and Chris, who grew up wanting to play at Iowa since their father did, and they grew up, you know, only about 40 minutes from Carver Hawkeye Arena, they went to DME Academy in Florida for a year, playing against some other prep schools, playing against some Division II and junior colleges, against some really high talent level teams, some other prep schools who had Division I prospects. Uh, and really just, they grew into, the, they added some weight to their frame, which is a big part of the year, um, gaining some weight and some muscle, just playing as the elite competition. They could show that they could do what they'd been doing in high school. I mean, Keegan was the Metro player of the year. Chris was right behind him statistically. They showed they could also do that against high-level competition. Fran McCaffrey recalls a showcase that they competed in at DME and called them the best players on the court during those. So after that first showcase at DME, they got calls from dozens of teams interested in at the division one level and bringing them in for a visit and offering them scholarships. Among them was Iowa, who obviously had a close relationship with them. They brought them both twins to Iowa city. They had a visit and on that visit, both twins committed. So it, it was a winding road and not necessarily a traditional road to see a player, especially Keegan, who's had all this success this year um, have to, take a winding route to his way to the NBA, but it definitely worked out for, uh, definitely for Keegan and Chris is in line to be a key contributor for Iowa next season as well. So 
say the uh, the year at DME really paid off for both of them. So I want to pull Chris into this conversation, and we can go around the horn on this. But Keegan Murray is going to be a lottery draft pick, from what it looks like. Most projections have him going fifth overall to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Do we feel like he can be that sort of franchise superstar? This um, you know sort of trajectory changing guy uh, that can carry a team to the postseason does he have that kind of star power um, and like obviously his you know the way he talks to the media and stuff is completely different because admittedly he's a little bit dry in that regard but Chris do you feel like he can be the man somewhere I don't think right out of college like year one in the NBA he can but he certainly has the skills And I don't know if he'll ever develop into that, but right now I would say, I mean, he could be the best player on the Thunder. Like he's not, I don't think he's going to be a superstar right away, but he's got, you know, the versatility is the thing that jumps out at me is his arms and legs are so long. He can get in those passing lanes. He's a sneaky good rebounder. He's got, you know, very, I don't know if underrated is the right word for his jumping ability, but he can get up there. Um, He's got all the physical attributes that these NBA scouts are looking for in the next big thing and you know his his kind of leadership style both Fran McCaffrey's talked about it and it's pretty clear to see for everybody that follows the Hawkeyes is that Keegan is just very quiet leads by example I'd say almost to a fault that's the thing that kind of I don't know if turns turns me off about his his ability to be a superstar but I, I don't know if he can be the guy to lead an NBA team right now. Cause I feel like he's got to develop his uh, vocal leadership a little bit more, but that's not to say he's not going to be a great player. He's definitely got, you know, all the skill necessary right now. And he's obviously going to get better because both Murray twins have a great work ethic as uh, as we've seen, we've covered them. And I think Hawkeye fans would agree, but I think it's going to take Keegan maybe a year or so to really, grow into the NBA and reach his, his full potential, kind of like, like kind of like his trajectory at Iowa was. Yeah, I think he, like, five years ago, I probably would have said he needs to start eating a lot of sandwiches if he's going to play in the NBA. But a lot of guys have his frame now. Um, the best players in the league, Giannis, Kevin Durant, uh, Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram. Those guys, all those elite scorers have that sort of slender, rangy build Shea Gilgis Alexander, who is probably going to be his teammate soon on the Thunder. Same type of deal. Um, But Robert, I'll give you the floor before I spout too long. Yeah, I'd say Keegan, and not that there's much competition for this uh, title, might be the best draft prospect that I was ever put out, at least that I can remember in my lifetime, just because he does all the things that in the current NBA they want you to do. He's the frame. He's the ideal frame, as Austin just kind of talked about. He's also got a ball handling handling ability where he can be the guy to lead the team in transition if need be. I, a lot of the weaknesses as to the only or the so-called weaknesses that some of the draft experts are saying could cause him to, you know, not be a top five pick or whatever. I've seen some people criticizing his shooting ability. I mean, and specifically his ability to shoot from free three point range and to create his own shot, but. I don't know. He he hit eight threes in a Big Ten tournament game. I think he shot just under 38% or so from three this year, which I think kind of silenced those doubts a little bit as there's room to improve and 
maybe me even get more aggressive with his three because another thing I've seen said about him is that sometimes he passes up a shot, which isn't the worst necessarily uh, attribute for a basketball player. He's trying to find somebody a better shot, but there are elements to see in his game where he can get a little bit more aggressive and create his own shot a little bit more. But overall, I, I don't think there's a glaring weakness in his game. As I mentioned, he's improved as a shooter. He's got a great shot blocking ability on the defensive end and is a versatile defender as to who he guards. Um, he can move in transition. Uh, he's a good rebounder for his size, especially. He's got the very long uh, wingspan. So even if somebody's a little taller than him, he can get the rebound. I think we saw that over the course of this year. Iowa really improve rebounding, especially offensive rebounding. Uh, I think a lot of the credit to that goes to Keegan. So, yeah, he's a very solid prospect. I don't see a glaring weakness in his game. Is he a guy who's going to walk in and lead an NBA team right away? I don't know, because a lot of these teams that are going to be in position to draft him are terrible. So I think that's got to factor in, too. Chris, you said he could be the best player on the Thunder. A lot of people could be the best player on the Thunder, if we're being honest. But I think I could be the best player on the Thunder. <laughs> Bring me back to Thunderstruck. What was that other guy's name that Kevin Durant took under his wing? I don't know, but he could also be the best player on the Thunder. Said Shea Gilgis Alexander, man. He yeah. wasn't in that movie. Hey, that guy's a 20-point-per-game type of guy, okay? He's, Keegan's going to be second fiddle to him, I think. But Keegan might be better than him on the court, but Shea Gildas Alexander has the best name on the team. Easily. Um, I also think that you guys didn't give enough credit to Reggie Evans, okay? He was a beast. <laughs> he was like a backup power forward for his whole career. And let's, played, good one at that. let's give some credit to Josh Giddy as well. Just, I don't know why, but let's do it. Doesn't he play for the 76ers? I don't think he does. I'm pretty sure he plays for the 76ers now. Hold on. You don't actually need to hold on, but we're doing it. Oh, okay. Is, is it the 76ers now? No, I hold on. Nope. Oklahoma City Thunder. What are you talking about? Oh, Come on. oh okay. So it'll be the third best player. Exactly. Anyway, okay. Let's sort of put a bow on this conversation. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at this. I think Keegan Murray really fits uh, the NBA game because the league is going to a more tra like positionless brand of basketball. Um, and when you have a guy like Keegan Murray, he can drop down and guard a big if you're facing a team that's going to like have a traditional post-up big. Uh, and he can also go out and guard somebody on the wing. I'm not saying he's going to get down there and like bang with Nikola Jokic, but, you know, he can do it if need be. The last big thing that I want to talk about with men's basketball is Joe Toussaint. I would say unsurprisingly, because I feel like he's kind of gotten – the short end of the stick throughout his entire Iowa career. But anyway, Joe T said, peace out Fran today and entered the transfer portal. Uh, he was benched during this season. So I don't think anyone's surprised by that, Robert. No, he started the first, this I'll start off by saying this seemed like it was finally going to be the year where Tucson, you know, is the guy at point guard as a freshman. He saw a lot of starts when Bohannon uh, was out of the lineup with the hip surgery last year, Bohannon's back on a very stacked Iowa team, Tucson gets moved into a bench roll. Uh, this year, CJ Frederick's out, Bohannon comes back, but has moved to the two. So this is Tucson's year. And then, but at the start of February, they moved Bohannon back to point guard where he's had been playing for five years. They inserted Tony Perkins into the starting lineup and they moved Joe T to the bench where sometimes he was the first guard off the bench. Sometimes it was Aaron Ulis instead. 
Uh, so it was kind of an inconsistent minutes workload for him this last season. Overall, I think he averaged about 17 minutes a game. Uh, that obviously dipped after he was removed from the starting lineup. So, yeah, I don't think this is necessarily a surprise that he's going to look for an opportunity where uh, he can be a bona fide, uncontested starting point guard somewhere, even if it's at a smaller school. Heading into next season, it was probably going to be a competition between he and Aaron Uless for the starting point guard spot. But, I mean, credit to Joe Toussaint. He still he led Iowa in assists and steals per game last season. Uh, even when he was moved to the bench, I didn't sense an attitude problem. He was always making those hustle plays. Uh, he made four steals in the Big Ten champ tournament championship game. Uh, so he did come up big, especially defensively, in a lot of moments last year. Uh, and I'm sure he'll serve whatever program he goes to well. Very quick guard who sometimes gets a little bit out of control with how quick he can go. But, you know, there's there's definitely a way where he's going to contribute for another team next season. But, uh, yeah, between Joe and Keegan and already having lost Bohannon, there's definitely some going to be some uh, new faces making big contributions for Iowa next season. You took the words right out of my mouth. Joe Toussaint at times has been Mr. Dribble it off my own foot. Um, <laughs> sometimes I think he's too fast for his own good. Uh, he gets running too fast and he forgets he has to dribble the basketball. Uh, and then it goes off his foot and out of bounds or whatever the case may be. And I also think like if you're Fran McCaffrey, there's a lot of, a lot of downsides to having Joe Toussaint in your starting lineup. Uh, we mentioned the turnovers, but one of the biggest things to look at is he really can't shoot the ball. Um, he's short, so he's, I mean, he's a creative finisher in the paint, and he finds ways to contribute, but, you know, his, his shots are apt to be blocked. And I, I don't know, I just think that in the modern game, you have to be able to shoot as a point guard. Joe Toussaint really can't do that. Aaron Euless, on the other hand, can shoot a little bit. He's controlled with the ball. Um, and he's got NBA blood, obviously, with his brother Tyler being in the league. Chris, do you have any thoughts on Joe T transferring before we get to the broader impact on the lineup? You know, I, like a lot of people, kind of saw it coming as soon as he tasted the pine in the midseason. Means was on the bench, Robert. It's, you know, it, it's a sports, you know, a metaphor or a, just an image that might have gone over your head. But... <clears throat> He he was just like the odd guard out, you know. He might have been a little bit better defensively than both Tony Perkins and Aaron Euless, but what what both of those guards contributed offensively kind of outweighed Toussaint's play because he not an offensive liability, but he just, you know, it wasn't a strength of his game. And that's definitely not a revolutionary thing to say. And so I think that he he kind of saw the writing on the wall. He's a, he was a great energy guy. It was, you know, he was kind of a team leader from the bench because he's, you know, it was his, you know, his third year in the program. And, you know, he brought that New York kind of toughness to the team. But when he got, when he got replaced by um, those other guards in the lineup, there was really no, no real reason that um, people thought he would stay because both of those guards are going to be coming back. So he'd be fighting for the same spot again. And um, those other two guards are only going to get better. And he, I mean, he is too, but uh, just the trajectories those three players were on, um, this was the most logical uh, decision, I think, for, for Toussaint. Let's talk about some predictions for Iowa's lineup next year. 
I think we're in consensus that perhaps Aaron Eulis starts at point guard. Do we like Tony Perkins at the two guard? Perkins will be back in the starting lineup, I'd say. I think there's an interesting scenario in the backcourt since, you know, Iowa having lost Bohannon and uh, Toussaint now. And do we see Eulis and Perkins as the combo? Do we see Perkins who can kind of play either position? play a little bit of point guard and let Peyton Sanford start at a shooting guard role because he really showed a lot at the end of the season, especially in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, so I think those three will be the primary guys we see out of the backcourt. And I guess it depends where they want to play Connor McCaffrey, who I would expect to return for his sixth season with Iowa. And if they'll continue with him in a bench role or if they want to insert him into the starting lineup again. But if I had to guess, I'd say you listen to or Tucson. Old news. Ulysses and Perkins. I want to pitch a crazy scenario to the three of you. What about Connor McCaffrey starting at point guard? Tony Perkins at two. You need a you need a new prescription, I think. You don't think you Connor need. McCaffrey can play point guard? No. He he's can, old. but he's like the third he would be the third best point guard option. Oh, I disagree. I think if you're looking for your point guard to be a facilitator. Connor McCaffrey can handle the ball, and he's a great passer. And he's a sharpshooter now. Yeah. What you guys? How about Luke Laquetta? We like him at the point guard spot. I like him at the point guard spot <laughs> for uh, Luther College. I like him uh, point guard spot for the bench, coordinating but the celebrations. Outside of so we're we're gonna say Ulysses and Perkins, and then the front court is where it gets dicey. Probably Patrick McCaffrey and Chris Murray back. Um, and if we're putting Connor McCaffrey uh, in the front court, he does he also crack the starting lineup? I don't really see they wouldn't other they, options. They wouldn't have a true. I mean, do they need a true center? Is my, I mean, a true center this year was Philip Robracci, who was the same height as both the Murrays. So oh, I forgot Robracci. He's kind of a scrub. <laughs> well, he's he's not back, so we don't need we don't need him. Robracci is back. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Oh, good lord! Yeah, so, none of us none of us know about him. Whoops. My front court thoughts, I think Chris Murray is going to declare for the NBA draft. I do think he'll inevitably come back a la Joe Wieskamp. His freshman year when he declared to the draft, talked to teams, and then decided to come back. So do not be surprised if – when does this come out? Friday? Sometime between recording this Tuesday night and when it comes out on Friday that Chris Murray declared for the draft – but I do think he'll come back next season and fill Keegan's role in the starting lineup and start alongside Patrick McCaffrey at forward. And I think Philip Robracha probably rounds that out as returning to his starting role. And then, as we mentioned, Connor has to fit in somewhere. I definitely think Fran McCaffrey is going to add a big guy from the, from the transfer portal. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they play into the mix. But I think if we had to, if I had to put money on it right now, Next season, starting five will probably be uh, Euless, Perkins, Patrick, Chris, and Rebracha, and then the big guys off the bench being Sanford, Connor, whatever big guy they get from the portal, and continue on from there. Let's 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 get some hype in the chat for my boy Josh Ogundale. Ah, uh, yes. When they play Purdue, he'll play ten minutes. He <laughs> he had some good minutes against Purdue. I don't know if he. he- I don't know. He needs to he needs to trim down a little bit, but he's got some sneaky skills. I wouldn't I wouldn't on a serious note, I would not not be surprised if he got, you know, 15 minutes a game next year or, or something along those lines. 
against the right teams, he definitely can play a role. And he did play some really good minutes in the Big Ten tournament, especially against Purdue. But I don't know. Like you said, he needs – I can appreciate him being winded after about four or five times down the court because same. But – and I, I don't know. He just, to me, like centers and Fran McCaffrey's high-tempo flying motion offense – unless you're Luca and can kind of play to his strengths a little bit and is a sharpshooter also from deep. I think he shot 44% from three or something around there his senior year. A traditional center just kind of seems like it gets in the way a little bit of what Fran likes to do. Uh, even Robracha is a little slimmer than a traditional center, as we've talked about, and has in the past when he was playing in Dakota, he showed some shooting ability. We didn't really see that last year, but uh, he's not that traditional center. So I will be interested to see Ogundale's role next year. I do think he could be a nice rotational piece, but I don't know if he's ever going to see anything significant. I like Ogundale. I think he has some requisite skills. My guy's got to learn how to shoot first. Um, the Big Ten Championship game, I think he airballed a few free throws. Uh, he definitely had a top-of-the-key jumper uh, that did not even touch the net. So he's really only a threat in the paint, but if he could learn how to shoot from 15 feet, I could see him playing 15 or 20 minutes a game. Um, but does anyone have anything else they feel is poignant on men's basketball? If not, we'll switch gears and talk wrestling lineup preview. All right, Robert, you're free to exit the studio. You don't have to stay. <laughs> Appreciate you having me on. Maybe when I leave, there'll be another uh breaking news story for men's basketball if so just bring me right on back oh, chris murray chris declared. murray declares for the for the i almost said WNBA draft i was like well Lord. that would be a big story caitlin clark is going to declare even though she can't can she she, she can't can. you she have can. to play it's oh, yeah. kind of sexist they have Three? to play four years of women's college oh, basketball but in college they're just like you could play one year and it's fine you mean in men's yeah in men's yeah mm. that's a discussion for another time Let's talk wrestling lineup preview. I wrote a wrestling lineup preview earlier this week, came out on Wednesday, and I sort of previewed what Iowa wrestling's lineup could look like next year. Um, things are going to be different. Uh, no Austin DeSanto, Alex Marinelli, Caleb Young, Michael Kemmer, Jaden Ironman. All those guys are gone. So that's really, in effect, four or five spots they'll have to replace and you know we'll, we'll have to see uh where that goes but obviously chris it's 125 pounds is gonna be spencer lee's they're not bumping spencer lee up a weight because of drake ayala or anything like that our friend cody goodwin at the des moines register wrote that ayala is going to redshirt next year uh, he won't be bumping up to 133 pounds. I disagree. When you have somebody with the firepower that Ayala has when he's healthy, I think you put him in the lineup, bump him up to 133. You know, DeSanto was a 125 pounder when he got here. Uh, and then he bumped up to 133. Nick Suriano of Michigan before he won his national championship at 125 pounds this year. He was a 133 pounder. So, Chris, do you agree with me, yes or no, that Ayala will be in the lineup next year? I, you know what, I'm just looking at this roster right now to see what, the only thing that gives me 
um, that gives me pause about that is, is Aaron Cashman because he is very good at 125, but he's not quite what Ayala is. And so the question is, would you bump him up and give Ayala another year, you know, to get, to get ready to wrestle at 125? But it really boils down to, will Ayala get more out of not wrestling, you know, the, the, he, Ayala could still wrestle like open tournaments and things, but would Ayala get more out of a red shirt year where he doesn't compete nearly as much, or would he get more out of bumping up a weight and competing fully? And we don't know, we don't know what the fallout would be or what the results would be of Ayala moving up to 133. But I don't know. I kind of do agree with you, Austin, because it's hard unless something revolutionary happens in the offseason, because Regardless of weight, and I say that with pause because I don't really know regardless of weight because that affects some wrestlers more than it does others, but we know what Drake Ayala can do <clears throat> healthy, and he did it for however many matches it was before that shoulder in- injury, and it was, you know, he took one loss to Heinzelman, but other than that, um, he was pretty pretty stellar, and so do you, do you take somebody that you know they're you know, a great competitor at the Big Ten level already, put him on the bench and then move somebody else up? Or do you do you kind of um, see how it goes at 133? And I don't know. I, I would kind of lean towards Ayala being out there, but uh, it's hard to disagree with Cody Goodwin on anything wrestling because he, he knows uh, a lot more than both of us do, admittedly. Yeah, it gives me reason to pause when Cody says that Ayala's going to redshirt. But I think Ayala could bump up to 133, no problem. He's five foot six. A lot of Iowa's 133 pounders are shorter than five six. Spencer Lee's 125 pounder. He's five three. You know, so I feel like with his frame, bumping up to 133 pounds isn't going to be that hard, especially considering how skinny Ayala is right now. Obviously, Ibarra and Cashman are there. Cullen Schriever. Uh, who's currently listed at 133 pounds, could come into the mix. Um, But in my column, I bumped Colin Schriever up to 141 pounds um, because I think he's just going to be the best option there for Iowa. Obviously, you could talk about Max Murin dropping down and maybe insert Caleb Rathjen, a freshman, or Kobe Siebrecht, um, a sophomore at 149. But for me, I think it makes sense uh, for Schriever to bump up because usually when Tom Brands plans to move a guy into his lineup that redshirted, he'll have that redshirt guy compete unattached a lot. And last year, Schriever's redshirt was pulled at one point, but Schriever messaged like, or he wrestled like 24 matches last year, which to me says that he is going to crack the lineup next year. And if Ayala's to wrestle, I think they're not going to bump Ayala up two weights. Um, if Schriever's to wrestle, I think it's at 141 pounds, Chris. Yeah, I, I would agree because Schriever, in those matches that he did wrestle, attached to the team when his red shirt was pulled. He didn't, you know, he didn't blow the, the roofs off the place, but he didn't, he wasn't bad. And the fact that Brands had the confidence in him to keep, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but um, thought that he can compete unattached in that amount of matches 
does make me think that he's going to be in the lineup or really competing for a spot next season because there's no reason for brands to have him out there so often if he didn't think he, he was close to being ready. And so I definitely, I definitely do think Shriver will crack the lineup. And, you know, if, if Shriver is going to crack the lineup, I, I don't think they're going to move Mirren down and keep Shriver at 133. I think, you know, Mirren is a, is a much better wrestler than Shriver is right now. Obviously Mirren was an, an all American. And so um, he, I think he stays at where he is and Shriver might bump up to 141. And then, you know, as we say, Ayala will probably be at 133. But all of this is speculation right after the season ended. But it'll definitely be interesting to see what Brands does because he's got a lot of talented wrestlers and a lot of open spots to fill because those those guys that were in the lineup last season, a lot of them were just mainstays for the last however many years. They're they're obviously they were seniors and super seniors and all that other stuff, but they you know, it held those spots down since some of them freshmen, sophomores, you know, had been, you know, at a lot of these weight classes, he's the guy. And now they don't have that kind of security. So this will be um, an interesting time. And we'll really get to see what what Tom Brands does, because this is really um, a, a part of coaching that um, he hasn't really had to deal with at, a, at this many weights in a long time. So it's definitely a, a pivotal offseason for the Iowa men's wrestling program. Yeah, I think we're 100% in agreement on that. And one last thing I will say, the little nugget that Tom Brands gave that suggests Ayala will be out there next year. Uh, when he was asked to talk about next year at the NCAA tournament, he started rattling off names, you know, Spencer Lee, Drake Ayala. And mentioning Drake Ayala's name seems to indicate that right now, this might not be the case in six months, but Ayala's the guy. Um, that they're going to go with at 133. Um, Murin, I could have seen dropping to 141 because Yanni Diakamahalas is there at 149 pounds. That guy's won 75 matches in a row, and he's a three-time national champ. So getting away from him is a reasonable thing to try to do, um, but I think Murin sticks that at 149. At 157, they got to replace Caleb Young, a three-time All-American. And to me... I think Chris Kobe Seabrecht is the guy to replace Caleb Young right now. Seabrecht is a 149-pounder. Uh, we saw him in a couple duels. He, he was never dominated, I'd say. Um, I think he was tech-falled once, but, you know, that was against a quality opponent. Um, and I, I think that Seabrecht, being 5'10", uh, has the biggest frame to add that weight and bump up to 157 pounds. I think that Seabrick definitely cracks the lineup in some capacity. You know, he, in like at the beginning of the year, when um, the Hawkeyes were dealing with that myriad of injuries at a lot of weights, because they had so many um, older wrestlers, upperclassmen that were nursing various ailments. He, he got some, you know, he got some run in the early season matches and he had some good performances. And so I think that he is as good an option as anyone. I mean, there are a lot of these guys on the roster that we say, oh, like they're underclassmen. They've shown, they've shown good things in whatever the unattached matches that they've wrestled. But Seabrook has 
you know, has tasted the atmosphere that is like a Division One Big Ten wrestling match, or not Big Ten, because I believe all of his um, competitions were non-conference, but, you know, he's he's wrestled in Carver, he's wrestled in front of these big crowds, and he's shown that, well, it wasn't perfect. He's definitely shown that he's got what it takes to be a, definitely a competitive wrestler that's in a lot of these matches. And so I think he's going to see a lot of action next year as well. So I think 157 pounds is sort of where the room runs out for flexibility, question marks. Because I think from there, the lineup's pretty clear. Obviously, at heavyweight, Cassiope's back going on down the ladder. Jacob Warner is back. Abe Assad is back. We can talk about 174 in a second. But at 165 pounds, Alex Marinelli's talked about it. Tom Brands has talked about it. They're looking forward to putting Patrick Kennedy on the mat. Uh, Patrick Kennedy, four-time Minnesota state champion. He won at the Fargo Cadet Freestyle um, once, if not twice, if I remember correctly. And Patrick Kennedy just seems to be the guy. He, he like Colin Trever, wrestled like 30 matches this year, and he won the last chance open. But the most impressive thing that he did to me was get second at the Luther Open. He wrestled Alex Marinelli in the finals at the Luther Open, and he lost three to two. And when you're taking on a four-time Big Ten champion, Chris, that's pretty impressive to only lose three to two to a guy like that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely the guy um, at 165. And, you know, I... I think he would have been, I think Kennedy would have been in the lineup if Michael Kemmerer had had left. If he hadn't been back for seventh year, I don't know if they, you know, they'd bump up, they'd probably bump up Kennedy to 174 because they weren't going to make Marinelli change a weight class after he'd been so dominant at 165. But, you know, Kennedy, we like to say like, oh, or some people might think, oh, he's never really wrestled attached. He, you know, he might not have what it takes. But to, not only wrestle against these guys every day in the wrestling room, you know, he, he probably wrestled Marinelli a ton. And then to perform that well against him, a three, two loss by decision at, at an event, you know, the, the blood's pumping. It's a real competitive event to only, to only lose to him by a point is, is awesome to put that in perspective. You know, there were a lot, a lot of guys at the big 10 and NCAA tournament, that lost to Marinelli by a lot more than point. And so you put, put Kennedy in there, you know, I mean, potentially he could have been an all American if we're using that logic. And so I would be very, very um, excited if I were a Hawkeye fan. And um, we haven't had the chance to talk to Kennedy a lot because he hasn't been wrestling um, in those, in the attached matches, but they've definitely got, I think they've got 165 locked up for, this year and and a couple more to come yeah pat kennedy seems to be the man i'm not going to say that iowa won't miss a beat at 165 because marinelli was really good but they're not going to lose a lot of tournament points and things like that with kennedy Uh, i think kennedy is going to come out and surprise a lot of people Uh, and i think kennedy's going to be a force in the big 10 next year but really to me the last weight that's a question mark here is 174 pounds um, and I would assume the consensus between us two is that that's going to be Nelson Brands. He injury redshirted this year. Uh, he wrestled at that weight while Kimmerer 
uh, was hurt this year. To me, it just seems to make sense that Brands, Nelson Brands, steps into the 174. I I think we're I think we agree on that because you know when when Assad was when Assad was out with injury um, last year, Brands stepped in and was was the 80 184 pounder pretty much all all season. Made it to made it to the NCAA's, made some noise in the Big Ten tournament. And so, and he, you know, he wrestled a couple of matches at 74 this season as well, when Kemmerer was nursing that upper body injury that we later learned was a, the labor went bye-bye. And so I think that he's the logical choice to, to step back in at 174 pounds. Yeah, I don't know. There's not much else to say. He's, he's proven himself on, on the stages that he'll be wrestling on um, in a you know, in approximately whatever it is, seven, eight months. And there are, you know, there are people on the roster that potentially could challenge him, but none of them stick out more than Nelson Brands does. And I think he, I think he, he'll be ready to, he'll be ready to continue to enjoy wrestling next year on, on the, on the, on the Hawkeye mat. Yep. I, I agree. Um, I don't think it's a national championship lineup. Um, but just to go over that quickly again, Spencer Lee at 125 pounds, Drake Ayala at 133, Cullen Schreber at 141, Murin, Max Murin at 149, Kobe Siebrecht at 157, Patrick Kennedy at 165, Nelson Brands at 174, Assad at 184, Warner at 197, and Cassiopeia again at heavyweight. With that, that that sort of wraps up our show this week. A good podcast, everyone. I'll, I'll go right into the outro now. As always, I want to thank our lovely podcast producer, Carly. She's going to have to weed through a lot of jargon this week, a lot of chatter, a lot of content. I feel bad. So, Carly, apologies in advance. Chris, Thanks as always for joining me. And next week, the DI goes in person. An exciting turn of events. We will be in studio, ready for the excitement. A little face-to-face conversation. We've got big things coming up. Uh, and we got some big things in the pipe for the scoreboard that we're very excited about. As always, we're working hard to get guests um, and do some exciting things with this podcast. But For now, this has been the DI Scoreboard. I'm your host, Austin Hansen. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to us this week. Hope you'll join us again next week. And the DI Scoreboard is sponsored by absolutely no one. Maybe the uh, town and country from Christ. town and country also let's give a shout out to carly dahlberg i think we forgot i gave her one. Oh, whoops i want to do it again he very blatantly gave me one sorry i haven't been listening but let's shout her out for sending some uh some great memes some great memes tonight greatly appreciated